Welcome to the Community Church. Well, good morning. Thanks, Simon. It's nice to be here again. Um, lots of familiar faces and a few uh, I don't recognise. So if you, if I haven't met you, do come and say hello. We'll be around. Uh, Sarah and I have come down with our kids. Uh, so do come and say hello. Lo- lovely to meet you. Uh, so we're going to carry on with our series on Romans. And today it's quite a chunky passage. I know some people have been given like two or three verses. And I've got a chapter and a half, which is like... Not quite sure, I'm, you know, it's like, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it really justice, but we're going to pick out a few things anyway. But I, I was encouraged uh, about the value of reading Scripture in public. So we are going to read it. I am going to read it all, okay? Um, so, But we're going to be looking at Except the One Whose Faith is Weak. So you might want to think about that title as we're looking through and maybe pick out the bits that are relevant to that. <coughs> Except the One Whose Faith is Weak, without quarrelling, over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. It's a very odd feeling here. It's much easier to read from this side, I found this morning. So I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know why my brain is like finding it hard to read it that way. Okay, I'm going to stand here. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge one who does for God has accepted them who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master servants stand or fall and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand one person considers one day more sacred than another another considers every day alike each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you judge them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Did that just, I just want to check it didn't go over to you. Okay. Let, no. <laughs> um, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. 
all food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Oh, no, I did go past that. Right, chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. But everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nearly there. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You got that? Cool. So it's a lot there, isn't there? So uh, <coughs> it's a little bit of an odd passage. And it feels uh, quite, it's quite a lot of resonance with us today. You know, there's a lot of talk today uh, about vegetarianism and veganism. You can't walk past a coffee shop without somebody offering, somebody offering you a vegan something or other. You know, are you into keto? What about the food, Mars? What about the packaging in your food? Has it got too much plastic? You know, is it... Is it, you know, who made the food? There's a whole load of our societies kind of pretty obsessed about food at the moment. And frankly, we all love food, don't we? So is it is this passage about being a veggie or a meaty? You know, is that kind of really what it's about? And fairly obviously, it's about a bit more than that. So we're, we're going to go a bit deeper than that. And I think a big uh, theme in this passage, really, with it, why what's relevant for us today is to look at cultural baggage. And, uh, you know, you're... Your cultural heritage is my cultural baggage. I see it as baggage, you know, and the same same for each of us, as we'll see. So when Sarah and I were getting ready to get married uh, way back, uh, we went to the Coin Church, where Adrian's from and a number of other people in the church uh, are from. And uh, in our style of churches, we value marriage really highly and we encourage people to take marriage preparation classes 
so that they're really set for marriage. And I always think, oh, it's such a shame. People, there isn't really kind of a, as far as I'm aware, there isn't really a movement in generally in society to do that. And you think, oh, my goodness, so much divorce and upset would be avoided if people had some marriage preparation classes to get them ready for marriage. And they kind of could walk in with their eyes open, you know, with without sort of silly expectations and over-romanticised notions of what relationships are about and so on and so on. So we were... Uh, we were... Uh, did these marriage preparation classes with a, a mature couple in the church, Doreen and James Meller, for those who know. Uh, quite, uh, yeah, very mature Chris's, quite characters in their own right. And uh, they took us through a number of things, um, quite something quite eye-opening. Oh, let's point out, one of them was a doctor and one of them was a nurse, so that was kind of interesting, so ask me about that afterwards. Uh, but I'm not, not going to get into that. Um, but uh, the thing that really stands out in my memory is we were given some homework and we had to look we were given a list of 150 things that couples tend to argue about. And what we didn't realise is that we were being encouraged to look at this over a number of weeks. What we actually did is talk about it all in one evening. And so you can imagine, you know, you, th you kind of think, oh, we kind of think the same, don't we? And of course, the purpose of this questionnaire is to show you that you don't. And that actually, you probably think about things quite differently. And there's all the classic ones there about, you know, do you screw the tube uh, the lid back on the toothpaste, do you leave the loose seat up, all those kind of little niggly things that people tend to argue about. And if anyone who knows us knows we're quite Italian in the way we uh, relate to each other. We tend to get very loud, very quickly, but we don't hold grudges and it kind of goes, you know, it's all over and done, dusted very quickly. So you can imagine what this evening was like, right? You know, it's 150 topics to argue about. It was kind of interesting. So, um, and the one that stands out to me was about Christmas traditions, Christmas family traditions. And one of the things I, I don't think you think about very much uh, when you get married, at least not in our culture, is about the family that comes with that person. We tend, it's, we tend to live in a rather individualistic society. We don't kind of give people dowries anymore and we don't think about marrying into a family so much. But actually, as those who've been married any length of time know that suddenly you will take on not just that person but their family and all the traditions and all the stuff that comes with it okay and you will have probably spent many christmases kind of thinking oh do i really have to really you know all that sort of thing right so and so when you start talking about traditions if you insult somebody's tradition you're not only insulting them you're insulting their entire family and every Christmas they've ever had, and probably their grandparents who initiated this tradition in the first place. So it's kind of like popping a bleed. So Sarah's family eat homemade sausage rolls for breakfast on Christmas Day with mustard, which I have now wholeheartedly embraced. It's a lovely tradition. <laughs> I like mustard. I like sausage rolls. What's not to like? Um, but at the time, I probably made some offhand comment or like, oh, that's a bit weird or something. And kind of it's like popping a balloon you know little comments and what you get back is totally disproportionate to the comment because you're not just insulting the sausage rolls i'm insulting sarah her parents her family and all of those years that they've been uh, doing this so we we tended to call it we didn't call it marriage prep we used to joke about it being marriage wreck but uh <laughs> so let's fast forward into this passage so in rome um in Rome, unlike some places that Christianity spread to, there was already a sizable Jewish community in Rome. Uh, there had been for hundreds of years, 
And so now Paul's writing to a church that has two distinct groups of people culturally. You know, we've got the people who are culturally Jewish and got people who have no Jewish background whatsoever and maybe come out of some sort of paganism or, you know, um, emperor worship or whatever. Um, uh, and so they approach life in a very different way. And the Jewish community, what you need to know about this Jewish community is that in 167 BC, they were really severely persecuted by the the then king, and what can I say, Antiochus. And what were they persecuted for? Because they didn't eat pork. Okay, so the Jews have a long memory. Jewish people have a long memory. You know, they've got they're, they're good at writing the history down. And so for them, this is only 200 years ago. So it's not in living memory, but certainly it would be part of their kind of cultural memory that. We, you know, stand up for ourselves. We don't eat pork. We don't eat what we're not supposed to supposed to do. So, you know, that would be deeply in their psyche. It's become really who part of who they are. You know, they're allowed to eat vegetables. They're allowed to eat beef. They're allowed to eat chicken. But they're not allowed to eat pork and things like that. And they're not allowed to eat seafood. Um, crustaceans and things like that. So, and, and if you think about it, you know, it just because they've become Christian, e even if they told they can eat it, for them, this is kind of gross. Ugh, why would you eat pigs? That's kind of, you know, to them, you think about the, the grossest thing that somebody else eats that you wouldn't like to. That's kind of how they feel about it. Like, why would I, why would I eat prawns? They're disgusting things, you know. And uh, frankly, I don't even know how to cook them. I haven't got any cookbooks for cooking prawns. I don't know anything about cooking prawns. So you're telling me I can't, just because I can eat them, I don't really want to eat them. And frankly, you know, it's kind of still gross. And, and I'm not really convinced yet that it is right. Because remember, as we saw in the passage, you know, they've got the hi history of the whole Old Testament. It wasn't just culturally they didn't eat them. They were told not to eat them. It was forbidden for them to eat these things. So it's very deeply rooted in their psyche that they mustn't, eat these things so uh, just because Peter's had this revelation on the roof that you're allowed to eat everything and this is now church teaching it's going to take a bit longer you know we're transformed by the renewing of our minds the Bible says but that can take time and also they've got uh, a whole load of festivals that go with it you know there's a whole load of Jewish festivals so for example they've got the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Tents in other words and part it's kind of like a harvest festival and they would have celebrated lots of sort of natural produce things that grow fruit and veg that sort of thing so maybe that's what this passage first we don't know exactly but um you know they were they were thinking well perhaps they were thinking you can imagine this sort of debate going on well we i really like that i don't want to get rid of the feast we we really like that one that was a good one you know well, i really enjoy every time we celebrate that can't we carry on celebrating that well can they or can't they is it is it forbidden is it something they should do is it something they shouldn't do is it something it doesn't matter uh, and that's kind of relevant to us it doesn't say in the bible anywhere to celebrate christmas or easter for example you know anything about the church calendar over the years you know way back in church of england you know they celebrate all sorts of things none of them are mentioned in the bible in fact easter's even named after a pagan fertility god it's not <laughs> you won't find easter in the bible okay so you know we with the the thing that we celebrate we, we've na we've still named it after a, a pagan fertility god so this is very this is relevant to us, you know. And some Christians today don't celebrate Christmas and Easter because they say, "Oh, well, you know, it's not in the Bible; mustn't do it, right?" So, is it? Isn't it? So it's an interesting discussion, and you can see it um, happening in this passage. And if you think about how long culture takes to change, if you can think back to the sort of 60s and 70s, people being encouraged to wear seatbelts, it's becoming law. 
you know, and people, oh, in a nanny state, oh, I won't have to wear this stupid thing, you know, and they probably didn't enforce it that much to start with, and gradually over time, now, I think very few of us will get in a car and complain about it, you just do it, don't you, you just put your seatbelt on, and if you think about uh, a seatbelt, it's probably about the minimum that they could get away with that they could vote through. You don't see fighter pilots going clunk click. They put on, you know, really five point harnesses and also we do the same for kids. So actually, probably from a safety point of view, that's really what we ought to do. But can you imagine any government saying, right, you've got to wear a five point harness in the car. Everybody's going, oh, I'm going to retrofit my car. It's going to be really expensive and it's going to mess my clothes up. And oh, just nanny state, blah, blah, blah. Imagine they forced through that law. 20 years' time, we'd all be going, do you remember those days? We just wear that stupid little triangle thing. Oh, my goodness, how unsafe was that? That's what happens, right? It takes time for everybody to collectively go, that's what we're doing. And it can be uh, the same for us. So think about church history. You know, should Christians smoke? Is that wrong? Is that right? Does it matter? What about eating fish on a Friday? It used to be law. You weren't allowed to eat meat on a Friday, and still traditionally is still fish and chip shop day, right, for a lot of people, or fish Friday. Um, should we play drums in church, drums of the devil? Are they not loud enough? We want more drums. We want less drums. You know, everybody has an opinion about drums, and any drummer knows, oh, you know, just wish they turn up. You know. <laughs> and they put, they tend to put, they haven't here, but you often put the drummer's little cage out the corner to make them feel, you know, ostracized. <laughs> what about... Um, what about incense? Isn't that a bit Catholic? Didn't we do away with all that in the Reformation? You know, all those bells and smells. That's not very biblical, is it? Well, it actually is quite biblical. You know, Jesus was given the old frankincense, you know, in and myrrh. Um, you know, we're, people today are very experiential. People love, you know, experiential worship, you know, inside, outside the church. We're all, get, we're all buying experiences. Maybe we should bring back smelly things. You know, it doesn't get much more experiential. Protestantism is very kind of devoid of smell other than, you know, so maybe we should bring back a bit of incense perhaps. Um, what about pews? Anybody's in church in, in the 80s, you know, oh, do we have the pews? Do I love pews. I don't like pews. You know, people get very hot under the collar about these things. And what Paul appears to be saying here, it wouldn't be out of place um, in a, a modern Sorry, I've got my notes out of order. Just note to self, when you're doing this in two sites, number the pages. Right? Um, it wouldn't be out of place in a modern kind of Instagram or Facebook meme. You know uh, what a meme is, one of those pictures with words on. It's kind of like, be true to yourself, you know, be authentic. Um, but actually, Paul's saying on minor matters, he's not saying on everything, but on minor matters, actually, that's true. That for as far as God's concerned, it's more important. Are you being true to what you believe or are you just kind of going with the herd? You're not really sure, but you're just going to do what everybody else does. And even I think I think that rings does ring true in today's society. We tend to we tend to respect people who at least act within their own moral framework. You know, the people who are inauthentic and who do something that's not within their own belief system, we tend to call them hypocrites. And the papers are very quick to point out preachers or church leaders who, who are in some way hypocritical. Um, we had a, a friend who uh, went to, uh, or still goes to, an ecumenical church. I mean, those, those who don't know what that means, it means kind of a number of different church denominations or streams all meeting in the same place. Uh, often perhaps because each one of them doesn't have enough people to sustain the church, so they decide to meet together. 
uh, serve the community uh, and try and put their differences aside you know and, and kind of work together this kind of sounds great but it raises some interesting theological issues because uh, so my friend wanted to uh, you know her son was the age where you might expect if you're in the Church of England for example to get them christened and she wasn't quite sure what to do so she went do I get them christened do I get them what do I do so went to see the church leader because this is an ecumenical church they have to kind of they have a, a, a menu of options and so you could have he said right you can have your child christened or dedicated or you can have a blessing kind of depending on which uh, which church stream you kind of vote with and he said but to be honest I didn't have my child christened and when they were a teenager they felt left out and all their friends had been christened so if I were you I'd have them christened to cover the bases was the phrase they used and I'm kind of like oh my goodness that's just such awful advice this is like from the church leader is like why, why that's a terrible basis for doing anything like cover the bases it's just like what you know surely you should be doing it because you believe that's what's right and so she wasn't quite sure so she came to Sarah and I uh, and we advised her, look, you need to go, you need to work out what is it you believe. I mean, obviously I can guide you based on what I think, but ultimately it's your decision as a parent. You've got to decide what do you believe, and then you've got to act within that framework and make the, r the, the right decision, and, and we'll support you in that. Now, we coached her a bit about, uh, you know, our churches tend to uh, not believe in instant bapt uh, instant baptism. I said it wrong this morning as well. Infant baptism. Um, we prefer to wait for people to choose later on. I say we prefer, we, we believe that, you know, that people should choose later on. And ultimately, though, that's what she went with. But, you know, it's an in interesting uh, situation to be in. So you can think of Christianity uh, is a bit like an onion, that there are some core things. It really does matter what you think about these things. You know, are you a Christian or are you not? Um, you know, there are some things that make, there are things that, do make you a Christian things that don't make you a Christian. And by the way, if you're not sure this morning, if you're kind of like, well, I think I'm a Christian, I kind of read my Bible, I'm kind of, I'm English, uh, I, you know, I go to church at Christmas, somebody's dragged me along this morning, you know, that makes me a Christian, doesn't it? Well, sadly, it doesn't make you a Christian. So if you're not sure what makes you a Christian, haven't really got time to cover that this morning, but maybe ask the person who brought you or come and ask one of us down the front, you're like, well, I'm not really sure, what, is, what do you mean I'm not a Christian? You know, we can help share with you what it means to be a Christian, okay? But there are some other things that, uh, you know, maybe other churches believe that we would disagree on, but they're ultimately not. It doesn't make you a Christian or not, but they're, they are, are important, but not quite as core. And there are some other things that Paul's talking about here that really is not about, you know, they're, they're quite disputable. And there are many situations that we will face in life that the Bible doesn't talk about. The Bible doesn't talk about smartphones. The Bible doesn't talk about, you know, driving laws. You know, so we've got to try and figure out in prayerfully and you know and getting advice from other people what is the right path to take often um but let's not be people who major if you've been around church any time at all you'll meet people who are majoring on these things out here tend to have got to be in the bonnet about something and uh you know a bit legalistic about something and and usually at some point we're all those people as well we become one of those people we get on a high horse about something and then eventually somebody points out that that doesn't really matter that much just kind of grow up a bit you know um uh, and we realize oh yeah good point right so let's not be people who major on those things but major on the on the the, the big stuff and this really comes on to how do we treat others how do we treat each other because 
we're all coming at this from a diff from di a different background. We're all maturing different. We're all di come at this with different levels of maturity. We're all maturing at different rates, and so depending on our background, we may emphasise different things and see things in a very very different way. Steve and D are going off to India. You know, if you meet an Indian Christian, I, I can imagine there'll be many things that they will totally emphasise differently to here. I, I notice uh, we're at uh, our, our gathering uh, <coughs> at West Point, uh, if you meet somebody from India, as I think I'm right in saying that in Urdu, there isn't a word for please and thank you. So somebody, when they, so somebody speaking Urdu who's not perhaps great at English, they'll just say, give me that pen. British, how rude! You can't say, "Give me the pen." You say, "Please give me the pen." Right? They just—it's uh, totally culturally different, and they don't think they're being rude at all. But they, it's different. So we all come at these things in a different way. You know, I'm emphasising, I'm British, I emphasise how important it is to be polite as a Christian, right? Perhaps. So. <coughs> Paul explains that on some issues, um, we can be technically incorrect, but to God, we're actually acting rightly because we're acting in line with our conscience. So we might say we're rightly wrong. And <coughs> Paul says in no uncertain terms that being right is not enough. And that, you know, it's we've all met people, and again, perhaps we've been those people sometimes, where we can be technically correct, but we're so arrogant and sort of vociferous and legalistic about our rightness that we get it wrong. We might say we're wrongly right. Now, obviously, as mature Christians, there is a time to correct and help others mature, but it's really important to pick the right time and be loving in the way we do it. Or maybe uh, something I've learned this year, maybe you're not the right person. Maybe you're the one who spotted it, but you're not the right person to share it. Maybe somebody else has got a relationship with that person, and they'd be better off to share it, and they'd receive it better from that person than they would from you. A really practical example, if you go to America, you know, what Americans think about, our American Christians think about alcohol and what we think about alcohol is quite different in some communities. So I think most British Christians, unless you're Methodist, you've got a big Methodist upbringing or uh, a denomination like that, I think most UK Christians would think that alcohol in moderation is fine. Um, you know, we'd be sensitive about people taking communion. We don't want to cause anybody to stumble if they've got a, a hidden alcohol problem. So we we serve non-alcoholic communion wine, but you know, we'd be sensitive about inviting somebody like that to the pub. But basically, me drinking in moderation is fine. However, if I went to a church in America and said afterwards, why don't we all go down the bar? You know, <laughs> some places you'd be looking at you like, uh, you heathen, you know, what are you doing? You know, um, and the problem is what you're doing there is saying, exactly what Paul says, do not let what you know to be good be spoken of as evil. So they're going to make a whole load of judgments about you and about everything else you believe and they put you in a box because you've said that. Okay, so for you, you're free to do that, but you're really causing them to stumble and to you're making an issue out of something that shouldn't really be an issue. So if you know that's going to be an issue for them, just don't mention it, don't bring it up. It's just not worth, it's just not a battle worth fighting. It really comes back to, at the end of the day, you know, who are we serving? That's going to help us through all of these debates, arguments about food and drinking, you know. And, and Paul, um, 
gets through, you know, starts out with these food and drink sort of symptoms, if you like, but gets to the underlying issue of it's really down to them being Jews and Gentiles. That's what's causing, that's where the, these arguments have arisen. And then he kind of quickly skirts past that. He doesn't really labor that point too much. Uh, and he talks about uh, really to say, look, actually, who are we serving? Because uh, ultimately, how we behave, are we living for Jesus and looking to serve him? And we need to be acting in faith. And so when we're trying to persuade others, is it really because we want them to, to help them serve Jesus better? Or are we just tied up in our own religiosity? And frankly, we're missing the point. Because Paul says, you know, if we are spiritually uh, mature, then we'll bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. And that, you know, with one mind and voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our aim, you know, the, the stuff in the middle of the onion, not the stuff around the edge. Let's not get too caught up in that. And Jesus is our model for this. He says, so I tell you, Christ has become a servant of the Jews that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And there's a classic uh, uh, situation in the Bible where there is, frankly, a really clear-cut uh, situation. There is an obvious sin. This isn't kind of a disputable matter. But even then, Jesus shows mercy. So it's a very famous situation of the woman caught in the act of adultery, brought before Jesus. And under Jewish law at the time, Jesus could have stoned her. And so the crowd were right. You know, they could have stoned her. Jesus could have joined in. That would have been fine under, in fact, it was almost the right thing to do, you know. But Jesus, <coughs> very wisely, and famously says he is without sin, cast the first stone. And it was always brought out as the older guys tend to drop the stones first because they've lived a bit and they kind of go, oh, I'm not really perfect, actually. And it's, yeah, he's right, but, you know, actually it's time for showing mercy. And maybe the younger guys here are a bit more, oh, but we're right. You know, we're so right. We're, we're They're wrongly right. You know, they're the last ones to realize and they, they drop their stones last. So Jesus could have uh, condemned her but doesn't he shows mercy even in a situation he starts with love and mercy even a situation doesn't brush on the sin under the carpet makes it clear there is a sin here this is a kind of a, a an issue nearer the center of the onion if you like it's not a dispute matter but even he in that situation shows love and mercy you might say oh did I skip past one can I go back? Can you go back? Yeah, you might say he's rightly right. He demonstrates how to be rightly right. So not just he's not just factually correct. He's behaving in uh, a, a correct way as well. So how much more should we treat others uh, in the, in the church, uh, except the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters? If it, you know, if Jesus can do that about something that big, uh, and uh, in his culture a stonable offence. How much more should we treat each other kindly? At least start with kindness and, and mercy and acceptance uh, of those who uh, disagree with us. So we looked at cultural baggage. There's lots of really practical advice here about how we get along as church. Because, again, church is kind of a really mixed bag, isn't it? It's like going to Woolworths. You end up with all kinds of uh, people in a situation you don't really get in there's very few other situations I can think of society you get that. So inevitably, we're all going to be at different stages. We're all going to be coming in with our own suitcases of cultural baggage. And so we're all going to be um, <coughs> have different issues. Perhaps you're from a different country. Perhaps you're from a different part of the country. 
perhaps you're from a you've come into uh, knowing Jesus from a different religion or from a, some sort of different upbringing so uh, you find yourself uh, with different politics to the people around you so you know we're all human it's so easy to be snobby and cliquey or kind of reverse snobs or you know we we, we do the we have these attitudes that divide us uh, and they're usually based around culture and belief and so on so let's let's be tr people who treat each other kindly and gently you know maybe th ask some questions well why do they think differently to me and even if i think they are wrong uh, is there something i can learn from them might their background help me uh, help other people who are coming to the church um you know may may their background help those people coming to the church in a way that i can't because i don't have that background so there, there's some real value there so let's be quick to love the person and not be too quick to uh, attack their behavior and ultimately what's going to help us with that is you know remembering who are we serving what are we all doing here in the first place you know are we here for our own glory are we serving jesus ultimately if our goal is to bring glory to the father and his son jesus christ then our aim will be unity and not strife for more information please visit our website thecommunitychurch.co.uk